3: necessarily those of kdow or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision insightful informative irreverent we're ready 1220 kdow presents rob black in your money
1: Got a show for you today, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing and more. We talk things to do on a consistent basis, things to do on a regular basis with money things to do at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year, whatever you have in thought. If you're 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, call the show. I want you to save enough money so that you have a nest egg so that when you decide to retire, you can. I see people retire way too early without any sort of savings. I see a lot of people in the Bay Area who use their home as their piggy bank, which is lovely, except for the fact when it doesn't quite work out for whatever unforeseen circumstances. It could be damage to the home when you come time to sell it. It could be a variety of issues. But anyway, um, higher interest rates, earthquakes. It could be that you thought you were going to stay in the Bay Area, but now you have a home in the Bay Area, sure, but you've got no money to afford the property taxes and or the food that your belly will so crave. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls in the air. One of the things I want everyone to do is boost your 401k contributions on a regular basis. company that I work for in radio, and this is almost laughingly simple, but they automatically enroll you in the 401k, and I love that. And they automatically increase your contribution 1% a year, which almost feels illegal to me, but I like that too. Um, Because there's some people here at the station who are bright at what they do, but not financially savvy. So to automatically do it for them, I like it. If you aren't ready to max out your 401k, I want you to, you know, look at a 529 saving plan for your kid's college. You're probably not going to save enough for your kid's college. Kids are getting more and more expensive on a regular basis. Um, At the end of the year, you want to sell some of your losers in mutual funds or in stocks so you can reap some capital gains taxes. Um, So you offset your capital gains taxes with your losses, and therefore you kind of, you know, get a little value out of your losers. So... You can wipe out $3,000 of losses if you made a mistake. Hopefully, you didn't make too many mistakes and ratchet it up higher than that. Um, I like selling winner mutual funds and buying loser mutual funds. I like selling loser stocks and buying winner stocks. Um, We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show if you want to. Um, Now is a good time of the year. Always is a good time of the year to consider about charitable gifting. Uh, Suppose, for example, you purchase a share of stock, you can give those shares away to a qualified charity, and you'll avoid the capital gains tax on that. Um, Postpone purchasing mutual fund shares. Many mutual funds pay capital gains in the month of December, so they have to pay taxes. That's why most people like exchange-traded funds and indices now that aren't into that game of um, the new investor has to pay the taxes or lose Value of taxes, tax distributions, that the the uh, old guy has been in the fund and taken advantage of. Anyway, joining me now, Tony Mendez, Source dot com. morning, Tony. You are a mortgage person. Um, let's talk about mistakes that people make because they are a plenty. Yeah, it's uh, we run into them all the time. You need five hundred thousand, one million dollars for a loan on a home, and people will go out and. Not file their tax returns. For it years. could be
2: anything from, you know, starting a transaction and getting a new credit card, right? In, right before you fund your loan, and then the, they pull your credit, and the credit's lower. You have a new debt on the on the credit, or buying a car, things like that. Why is getting a credit card bad? Well, it's, you mean for for a financial transaction. Sure, I think you should have followed. Yeah, it it's bad because if you start a transaction and you start changing things like your down payment and your credit and anything that has your income. Anything that changes after you start, after the underwriter starts looking at your loan, will affect the, the approval at the end because they call your employer the day before they fund the loan. They look at your credit the day before they fund your loan. They, you know, they do all of these things to make sure that you are the same person that you started off the transaction with. Okay. So getting, doing anything like that from the beginning to the end, deadly, or can be. All right in, and in some cases, things that you do before. Uh, if you do it a month before, sometimes it doesn't hit your credit until after you start the transaction. so it's be very careful. Uh, start early in transactions. I mean that's what, that's the best advice I can get. Credit is a funny thing, yeah,
1: um, to say the least. I own a property in the state of Washington, a business property that doesn't show my credit report, even mm-hmm. though I had to sign enormous amounts of documents. I still can't figure that one out.
2: As a co-owner. It's just the reporting. You have to remember, that just because you get something, yeah. you're relying on that third party, that that creditor, to report to the bureaus, not only to report, but to do it accurately. In fact, there's some people out there, there are, there are credit card companies. You can go online and say, I want the cheapest credit card that will report to the credit bureaus. So really? you can have a really bad credit uh, credit score, still get a credit card, so that these people will report to the bureaus. It's, like, it's a cheap one, like a $500 credit line Damn. type of thing. And I, like it'll the, I help build, like those for teenagers. It, it's great because it reports to the bureaus and it helps your credit, build the, the credit score. And you see that entry inside the um, in, in, from the bureaus. But it's all about how they report. So your, your company may not be reporting. Sounds good. Anything else?
1: Mistakes that you see on a regular basis? I like the um, one like that you brought up this morning where someone said, oh, by the way, I show no income. And how do you expect to get a loan when you show no income on taxes? well
2: i'm I'm working on a transaction right now where somebody's changed jobs after they started the transaction okay, and some lenders, depending on where you went uh, will require at least thirty days worth of pay stubs from that new line, even if you have a contract, it's higher wages it's w two salaried all that good stuff, same line of work they still need to two uh, you know thirty days of paychecks um yeah. some people do that for the record back when I was a dating man, I required the same thing. <laughs> And a I want to see support.
1: some pay stubs. I want to see a credit <laughs> blood report. report.
2: All that stuff. A little
1: blood urine sample. Um, and I'd always do it with taste. So, <laughs> Great palate. I have a very nice palate for <laughs> distinguishing blood. Anyway, that's Tony Mendez. You can find him at bayarealonesource.com. That's bayarealonesource.com. Let's go to Steve in Oakland. Steve, how are you?
3: Hey, I'm good, thanks. Good, what's up? Uh, so I'm looking to get a HELOC. Uh, a and I'm also looking to buy a new used car, um, which I would take out a loan for. I'm wondering which one I should probably do first. I'm guessing
2: the HELOC. Um, Any chance? Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Any chance that you can get the HELOC to, and then use the HELOC to buy the car?
1: Um, I get a better rate from uh, my credit union on okay.
2: the car. Okay. Yeah, it, it all depends on rate. I'm just I'm just warning. Um, that's oh, gonna yeah. be. Have you? You, you need to, you need to see your credit report. You need to talk to the, the the. I would definitely talk to the people you're going to get the the equity line from first, so they can see your report, look at your debt ratio, and make sure that it doesn't clash with that lender. And okay. and and you have to be careful too. That if your credit score is like on a border, getting new debt can can drop your credit score, um, you know, by five points all the way up to like thirty forty points. So if you're on the border of qualifying, you may not want to buy that car first. Out of curiosity, what are you going to use the HELOC for?
4: Uh, potentially home improvements.
1: Okay. I'm not a big fan of HELOCs, just FYI. Yeah. Um, I'd prefer
2: you pay for my cash if you have it. But yeah, I'm actually surprised more people are getting HELOCs today w- w- when rates are so low. Yeah. Because uh, you can just easily do what a cash-out refi and, and, and refinance the whole thing, keep it fixed without having that adjustable period snipping you at some point.
1: Keep in mind, I'd live in a cardboard box, and that's why I'm not a big fan of home improvements. If you're taking out a loan <laughs> to do home improvements, um, then again, I don't know where he's living, and I don't know if it's a, a structural improvement. I don't know if it's you know a kitchen improvement. But be careful with HELOCs. Um, you're taking out a loan against something your own piggy bank. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.
3: Black and your money. On AM1220, A lot of people
1: misunderstand or misrepresent the benefits of a the mortgage. The thing that I like about the word mortgage, it's got the word death in it, mort. You understand why some people fear it, right? Because it's got death in it just right out of the gate. Having a mortgage paid off. To me, or having a home paid off is probably the better way. Of it. I guess it could be either. It's like having money under a mattress. It makes no sense. Joining me now, Tony Mendez. He's a mortgage lender with Bay Area Loan Source. You can find him at com. The idea of paying off a mortgage, I think the mortgage is the coolest, most awesomest tool in the world um, because you basically write your name down on a piece of paper and a bank and gives you half a million dollars. And it would take me a long time to make half a million dollars, probably like two
2: weeks. No, no. <laughs> but you get the idea. Uh, it's a pretty powerful tool. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, you know, this is a great society that we can leverage a piece of property and put a mortgage on it and, and have have it amortized over 30 years. Um, yeah, it's 30 years is a long time, but, you know, it's all about that payment. It's all about getting into the property. And the, the way that they've structured these, these um you know, a mortgage, you know, over 30 years. And at one point, we had 40 years. It's all about getting in the property, having uh, and and getting that seller the money so that you can have that payment that works for you. Uh, And and really, that's what's been driving a lot of the real estate in the United States, especially in the Bay Area. We've had super low rates for a long period of time, and it's given a lot more people the, the, the ability to afford the kind of high prices that we do have around here.
1: A lot of people don't like
2: mortgages or want to pay off their mortgage
1: early because they don't want to pay the interest rate.
2: And I get that. Well, the interest, Yeah, it's like a front-loaded interest type of, of loan, and it takes a while to start paying principal. Um, but I think their fear is
1: misguided in the sense that credit card debt at 18%, 19%, 20% is evil. It's heinous. Um, payday loan services that charge you 20 25% to get access to your own money evil, heinous, but when you have a mortgage that's at 4% yeah. and the interest is tax deductible, like, holy mackerel. Um, it's an amazing tool. And again, I don't understand why people are in a rush to pay it off. I've got enough cash and investments that I could pay off my home. There's no way that'll do it. Um, now, if I become disabled and can't work, I'd consider it. But that use of cash flow for me, like, I'm looking at, like, another investment property. I'm looking at you know, using that that opportunity of low cost money to my advantage, and I'm, I'm not afraid about it. Um, I want people to feel good with that. Your interest is your mortgage interest is tax deductible, and it's also tax favorable from a capital gain standpoint. Um, it's fixed; it doesn't adjust to inflation. Yeah, that's that's pretty powerful. So let's say you take out five hundred thousand um, dollars, and you're struggling to pay it back. If you get a three percent raise next year it's going to be a little bit easier to pay back that mortgage. Yep. And you get a 3% raise the following year, it's going to be way easier. Your kids go off to college at some point in time and you're like, woo-hoo, I thought I used to, I, I used to struggle to pay this baby off and now it's like a breeze.
2: Yeah, a lot of people, you know, they get a couple years into their mortgage and they're like, oh, you know, I'm I'm starting to make some ground here. And then I'm, they start thinking about, hey, how soon would it take to pay it back? I mean, you know, I, that goes through my head too. A lot of people are going in 15 years, you know, almost over one-third of the mortgages that are refinanced in with Freddie Mac right now are into shorter term rates, I'm sorry, shorter term loans, like the 15 or the 20. That's because there's a much, you get a lower rate and, and you pay it for a shorter period of time. Uh, another thing people forget to, uh, is that when you get into 30-year fixed, you don't have to keep it for 30 years. But if you pay 5 to 10 years off, then you can re-amortize that, that mortgage by refinancing. And you don't have the uh, more balance unless you're taking cash out for something else. But if you refinance that one, that same balance... You're just re it for 30 years, and you can lower your payment again. So there's, it's a great tool to own a property and to, and to um, ultimately build wealth in a certain type of way. The mistake people make, in my opinion, with mortgages is that they tend to think, okay,
1: a property in Tracy, California, is the same as a property in Palo Alto, California. And that's the mistake. Taking out a loan on Tracy, you're not going to see much appreciation on real estate because there's a lot of land there, a lot of land in Sacramento, a lot of land in... Um, you know, various parts of the country where people are like, this is what I can afford. It's actually, I, it, you almost get more rewarded, or you almost expose yourself to greater returns by taking out a mortgage in a, an expensive area, in an area that everyone already realizes has great schools, and great another thing, jobs are close by.
2: A mortgage does, too. Let's say you want to buy a primary residence, but you don't want to use all your cash. And then you're in a situation where... Uh, you know, the market's fluctuating and you don't know which direction the the, the values are going to go and you, you know you're going to sell your property in a period of time. And what if it goes down? I, I'm not saying that you dump the property, but if you do have to sell the property and there's a loss and you didn't put a lot of money into it, you have a mortgage that kind of protects you against that. Also, the one more last thing that I'll say about mortgages is when you're paying off your mortgage on a monthly
1: basis, you're paying yourself principal, your home... Grows in value in theory over time. So you're basically have an investment plan. You're starting a piggy bank. You know, every year, you know, maybe sixty percent of your money goes to equity, maybe forty percent to interest, and then a couple of years down the road, it's sixty-five to principal, thirty-five to interest, and it's a couple of years down the road, it's seventy. It's it's a great savings plan for people. Yeah, and it, very fact, automated. You,
2: I, I never really thought of a mortgage that way until you, you and I started talking about this several years ago, and. Uh, when you when you pay that principal, you're you're putting that money into your house. So in in essence, your mortgage payment isn't two thousand dollars a month, it's two thousand dollars a month minus the, the principal that's going into that equity, which which is a, another way of savings. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I want people to max out their four hundred one K and live in a cardboard
1: box. But once you max out your four hundred one K and you have some extra money, I want you to own a home that you're gonna work live in that's close to work. Anyway that's C F P No it's not C F P. Anyway, that's Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Couple other thoughts, Tony. How long is uh, I've heard getting a mortgage with Fannie Mae is getting easier. They've lightened or lessened their standards.
2: Is that true? It, it it is and it isn't. Meaning that depending on the source that you go to for your mortgage, are you going to a lender? that has uh, their own guidelines over top of the Fannie Mae guidelines? Or are you going to a lender that goes, oh, you know what? We're going to take these, what they call a DU. It's a, it's a Fannie Mae's automated underwriting decision. Uh, they throw your credit score in there, your income and the type of house, the equity and all that stuff and the rate. Here's the payment. Does it work? And Fannie Mae goes, yes. And if they take the, the decision and all the guidelines that come with it, that's a, a, a lender that's going to f- what they call a Fannie Mae direct lender or a Freddie Mac direct lender. But if you're going to that lender that has all those what they call overlay guidelines, then you may not be getting those easy, uh, you know, those loosening guidelines that Fannie Mae's talking about. So the source of where you get a mortgage is is just as important as, as, you know, putting a good scenario together. It's pretty intimidating because a lot of Americans think I'm going to go to my bank and get a mortgage.
1: And that may not be the best way to do it. A lot like a lot of Americans think, I need to invest, I'm going to go to my bank to do it. And that definitely isn't the yeah. best way to go about in, it.
2: In, in fact, y- you, you brought up a good point that a lot of the business that I've received in the last year has been coming from people who've been turned down by banks because of those types of overlays. Banks are the toughest, toughest place to go to, but you need the cleanest kind of, of um, scenario. That's, that's where people like me come in, into play. We, we go direct. It's Johnny
1: Mendez. You can find him at Bay That's BayAreaLoanSource.com.
3: i I you feel the same. Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220
1: KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial, money investing and more. In the world of mortgages, there's a lot of products. Joining me now to talk a little bit about the product in the mortgage world, Tony Mendez, com. Tony, bi-weekly mortgages. It's something I hate. It, the, it looks so good on paper, but the reality is, is you're just making 13 payments instead of 12. And uh, people don't understand that.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of... of techniques and strategies that have been floating around there for many, many, many years. This is one of them, Um, and it's something you can do on your own. I think the biweekly payment, it's another sales tactic to work with a lender or work with a servicing company. If it costs you any money to to set this up, I wouldn't do it because it's something you can do on your own. You can simply go to your bank and say, oh, please divide my payment into, send it on these dates, and you can just tell your bank to do this, and you can do it on your own.
1: Or you can write a check to your bank and just give them an extra payment
2: right so, so or you 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 write a separate check right or a separate direct withdrawal that for the for the amount that t- divided by 12 and you figure it out it's it's very easy most of these these techniques that you can do you can do on your own right without
1: and like you said set, set up fees so real quick i want to mention i think that extra payment that people are putting into their home on the you know the biweekly I think that should go in the stock market where I will bet you that you'll earn far more than the 4% mortgage rate that you have on the, um, on, the, on, the on your house. Like, It's frustrating because that in of itself, the bi-weekly product, doesn't offend me. It's not good. It's, it's not smart. It's financially retarded. It slows your financial growth. But it's not evil. The ones that are evil are the mortgage accelerator commercials. And you'll see them on things like KQED. You'll see them on late-night television where, you know,
2: you, you'll you, pay your off your mortgage in 13 years. You know, the one that's coming back is the, the one where they use your assets to – you basically get a loan every month for one day. So you're paying one day of interest every month. So you're getting a new loan every month, but you're using your assets. So let's say you have a $500,000 loan. You have $500,000 in your bank. And you pay that off every month but you get a mortgage uh, every month. But the closing costs on it are outrageous, absolutely outrageous. So if you can do something like that, but you're you're, you're paying $30,000, $40,000 to do it. I want to stick with uh, mortgage accelerators. that's, That's kind of a mortgage accelerator in a way.
1: I want to stick with it in my concept because I think this is something people see, and it sounds so good. You could pay it off 13 years early. There's video testimonies during the commercials of people like, I paid off my mortgage in 13 years. 17 years early. And w- sometimes this product is funded with a new loan with very high fees. Sometimes this product is funded with, say, a refi on your house, mm-hmm. or sometimes it's funded with um, stock market, some of your equity. It's sometimes they will take it out of your bank and like, we'll take it out of your bank on day one, and it'll be back into your account on day 14. It's like, w- what the hell? Ha- mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's not made and switch. It's just like, Flashy, flashy tin aluminum cans and noises and like, ooh! Don't look at this. Yep. <laughs> Take a look at that. You're taking out a loan to pay yourself off yep. on another loan, and it's crazy. It's, I've seen the it's same. similar
2: to what I was what I was mentioning.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, a lot of these programs are they've been doing it in Australia for years. We're uh, bringing a, it to a, America. That is
2: the exact product that I'm talking about,
1: Rob. Yeah, yeah. I, and I know. And yeah. I'm just I'm talking to the audience right now because they see these commercials and they're like, that sounds good. But uh, – and I, I, I willingly admit the listeners out there are my plebeians. They're my common people. Um, I'm the proletariat. I have to take the education of the masses because they're not smart enough on their own to figure out what marketing messages
2: are. So just throwing that out there.
1: Uh, um, you know, it's,
2: it, it's really good. not a mortgage product but more of a mortgage strategy, and, and, and people have to be really careful. And you're right, Rob. There, there's so much. Inter- I, I have people contacting me. They're going, oh, "What's this thing?" I keep getting these emails and 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 stuff in the mail that, that says uh, that there's this Obama program that has you know no credit score refinances and and they're going to get what what it. A lot of what these things are is that these. Lenders or advertisers are are trying to build a database, and they're trying to get you in the door. And they're going to go, "Oh no, well you don't qualify for this, but sir, let me sit down, sit you down, and talk to you about why you want to refinance." And next thing you know, they're trying to sell you you know a loan. So yeah. a lot of times, it's just them building a database and getting you inside their their system. And the worst part, uh, and, and they're charging you a five hundred dollar application fee, and they'll
1: say something along the lines, "You're like, I want to I want to think this over," and they'll say, "Don't you want to take care of your family?" Don't you want to have mm-hmm. a really good deal? Like, don't you want to make, save a lot of money? Don't yeah. you want, like, the guilt trip. Yeah. Oh.
2: I, I, it's like buying a timeshare. It is like buying yeah. a timeshare. Yeah. You know, I really thought those days were over where there was that hard sale, that kind of, like, sleazy kind of feeling you get when you're done. You're like, oh, I need to take a shower. And and you get a lot of that from these types of, of advertisements. Same thing's done in insurance and even in investing. I've,
1: I've seen, um, you know, financial experts, quote-unquote, say, like, let's take your big chunk of your pension and put it into a, an annuity and you'll get a guaranteed 4% return, but uh, it's not guaranteed. It's you get your own money back at a rate of 4%. <laughs> and Oh, by the way, I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to take 9% of your money as part of my commissions and fees. My company's going to get four and a half percent and I'm going to get four and a half percent And 10
2: years before you break even kind of thing. Yeah.
1: And you will never break even. So it's, there's so much crap
2: product out there. I, I, th- I think the story is though that it's it's all about the advertising and what's what people are seeing. It, it, it's re- it's really hard to disseminate between good information and bad information. And ultimately, down the you know, I, I think if you feel like there's a sales pitch going on, like they're
1: trying to convince you of why it's such a good idea, I would be very cautious with any financial product. That's Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Okay, so we've beaten up on bi-weekly mortgages. We've beaten up on mortgage accelerators. Um, how about points or no points? Um, is there a, a trend right now that you're seeing people say, no, I don't really want to do that, or people jumping on it? When rates rate?
2: when rates drop below 5%, it's the paying points kind of went away. Not a lot of people are doing it. The, the only time right now you should be paying points is if you need to buy the rate down for qualification, or you're buying a house and the seller's giving you a concession, where which may or may not be likely uh, that you can use towards closing costs. Most people are going with the because you can still get a good rate and you can still get a good credit from the lender for closing costs. Whether it's a refinance or a purchase, purchase of course the closing costs a little bit more, and you might you know still have to bring some extra money in over and above your down payment. But why why you know they're still going to talk about points and people are going to still consider it and they're still. You know, it's part of the questionnaire that you're going to look at when you start researching a mortgage, but I, I don't think there's a reason to do that unless unless you absolutely 100% understand the, the benefits and you can you know you're going to keep that mortgage for the, the beyond the payback period, and it, it and it makes sense um, with with your plan. This is kind of interesting,
1: numerology and real estate. I'm not sure if you've ever picked up on this, but if you ever go to Vegas, there's a lot of like lucky seven diners and. Lucky seven hotels. So if you sell your home, you want to put an offer on it like seven hundred and seventy-seven thousand seven hundred seventy. dollars Because like it's ingrained in the society. Um, Asians as well. Asian buyers had a price ending with the number eight, but not the number four. The Chinese word for eight is pronounced in a manner similar to a word for prosperity, wealth, and good fortune. Meanwhile, four sounds like the word for death. Keep in mind, we're also dealing with mortgages, which has the word death in it. Um, in Bible Belt states... Uh, prices of homes should include 316, a reference to John 3:16. You should never ever put in 666 um, into your price
2: of your home because 666, Damien, Lucifer, the son of the devil. Um, I don't know if I have much comment on whether how that pertains to anything in my business. They're not going to decline you because you have 666 in the at the end of your your mortgage number. Can I just, just talk about something that I like to talk about on occasion?
1: Not like totally suck up to you and try to sell your mortgages and your loans and your finances? I, I do a radio show, too. You can talk about that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Where can I hear the scintillating radio show?
2: Thursday night, same station. Okay, what time? Six, six to seven. I was on last night. Okay. How was the show? It was good. I had a couple of call, good callers. Okay. Great callers, actually. And We talked about things like... Um, uh, one guy was converting his property into a rental, his primary, buying another house, converting it into a rental, but he refinanced it recently. Um, and what are the dangers of that? Yeah, lenders can actually see what you do in your previous transaction. Did you do this as an owner-occupied transaction, and then you're going to turn around, turn it into a rental. And some lenders may not let you get another primary residence loan within a period of time. That could be three months, six months, or a year. Okay. So, So the, another part of the research that you do while you're looking at lenders. So let's say I decided that I want to turn my home into a rental
1: and right. I want to buy another home. Mm-hmm. Let's say San Carlos home becomes a rental. I've had it for five years and now I want to own a Burlingame home. Do I have to tell the mortgage company that I'm renting out the home that has it? No,
2: okay. no, because you, you signed an, an occupant occupancy affidavit when you got the loan and, and it says that you should at least occupy that property most commonly for a year. Okay. Um, and that was registered with MERS, Mortgage Electronic Registration System. And then when you buy the new property, uh, they're going to ch- do a MERS report. They're going to see what you've done in the in the past 10 years or whatever. And it'll tell them, oh, okay, we can do this. But if you've done it in a shorter period of time as an owner-occupied, then, then they start questioning why you're doing it. You have to create a story to, to give the lender of why you're moving. Is it a job change? Is it a school or, or what? Sounds good.
1: It's Tony Mendez with Bay Area It's Bay Area
3: Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM twelve twenty KDOW on the iHeartRadio Radio app.
1: I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, Bay Area host of the Real Estate Report Thursdays here on KDOW, AM twelve twenty. Um, Rob, a lot of people get caught up with the OPP, no, 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 not the OPP, (laughs) the OPM, other people's money. Slight mistake, right? Yeah. Um, Reminds me of a joke that I'm not allowed to tell anymore because my bosses don't like it when I got confused with stretching my legs with another term, Um, so I'm not going to bring that up. But what's the spread on the football game this weekend? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about rental properties. Sure. It's sold a lot in media, like, hey, get a rental property and other people will pay your mortgage. Not that easy. Um, I still say go with quality versus go with, you know, eh, get a rental property in Stockton. You're going to be dealing with Stockton uh, people. And as a former wannabe mayor of Stockton, they're not the best, most desirable people. They tell you to lock your car <laughs> like for a good reason. Uh-huh. Um, let's talk rental properties. As a mortgage guy, how easy is it to qualify for getting a
2: rental mortgage
1: that's known as a rental
2: mortgage? versus like the under the assumption oh, oh. you live there. Okay, so getting a rental mortgage or a primary residence mortgage is the same. Really? Yes. But there's different guidelines for rental properties. Okay. All right. So you you have to have slightly higher credit scores. So it depends on what you mean by that. Is it the same process? Yes, but you have some s- different guidelines. So you have to more more down payment. Yep. Okay, twenty to twenty-five percent. Twenty-five percent, I like because you pay a bigger hit when you put twenty percent down. Um, you have to have higher credit scores, and then and then later on, you're limited on cash out and and other things like that. But the the products are also limited as well. So it, it it you are constrained by some of the products and some of the rates that you end up with on this on a rental property. So a lot that's why a lot of people like we were talking earlier that people move from their primary residence, they refinance it, and then turn that into a rental and then get another one. That's the most common way people buy or get into rental properties. Not a lot of people go out and they just say, oh, I'm going to buy rental here, rental here, rental here, although yeah. there are professional investors that do that. Uh, where you find a, 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 people make a lot of mistakes, though, getting into rental properties, they, they don't have the right exit strategy. A lot of people using alternative products because they may not qualify for a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac standard product, and they and they get into a rental property and they can't figure out how to get out of it, meaning... How did they get out of that loan? How did they get out of the, uh, out of an adjustable? Did they use a private money loan or some sort of alternate product that has a, ter- a shorter term to it? Let me give you an example.
1: I own a business, and I decided to own the property that my employees would be in, and I couldn't really qualify for a typical mortgage. Um, it just wasn't working. Wrong part of the town, comps weren't good, so I went to the SBA, Small Business Administration, right. SBA loan. Um, it was an alternative, and it's a situation where I have a rental, but here's the beauty: I'm paying myself rent, and I, that's a good situation. That's, that's a you know th- I, that's I the trust, other part trust of myself.
2: that's the other part of buying investment property is commercial. Uh, if you have your own business, for example, yeah. at, at one point I considered buying my uh, a commercial building so that I could l- rent it for myself instead of paying somebody else. So there are opportunities to do those types of investments. Um, but again, going back to some of the things that people: why is it more difficult? Well, it's it's a bigger risk. Yep. That's the thing that that people. Uh, we're are being sold. You talked about how it's out there to you know, a lot of advertisements, a lot of uh, advertisements, a lot of of you know professionals saying, oh, you've got to do this, you got to pull money out of your house, buy investment property, or or however you do it. But a lot of people still get in trouble thinking that that. It's the best rate of return on your investment, meaning the, the ROI, yeah. and it's not always. I'm looking at a property right now with a, with a client, and, and I'm telling you your your rate of return is less than two percent. But oh, I still want to own the property. So a lot of people still buy properties because they think there's equity that's going to be building yeah. in that. And, and, and meanwhile, you could have done other have other investments that have done better. And That's where I, I'm saying if you are looking at a rental property or investment properties, you have to work with a CPA at least. And, and then a CFP, if you really want to be serious about it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny to go back in time. The New York Times just did a piece recently about the last 40 years of real estate. If you bought in San Francisco, Chicago, New York, how great it was. But they also said, okay, let's say you put $20,000 down on a piece of property, give it 40 years, how great your return would have been. But they did the same thing with the stock market. And if you put your mortgage a $1,000 a month into the stock market in that period of time, the stock market was up by over 300% higher. It's almost 400% higher uh, when all is said and done, because also with a home, you have taxes, uh, which you will eventually have with stocks. But anyway, yeah. um, one area that really I dislike when we're talking about investment properties, business partners.
2: It, it's funny that you <laughs> mentioned that. Last, last night, we had an email on the show from the, uh, a guy who wanted to buy 50-50 partnership with a... You know, on an re- investment property, hundred thousand dollars each into the property. Right. A- and what were the risks like involved here? You know, it sounds like a great idea, but what happens if you know the, the one of the partners loses his job and he wants his hundred thousand dollars back? Yep. How do you you have to sell the property? Can you refinance it? Is the reason you got into the property to begin with that you needed his income to qualify? So there's there, there's a lot of risk. And and then if if payments don't go uh, the get paid on time, then both people's credits get get hurt. So there's a lot of risk going into partnerships with investment properties, so you have to kind of set it up the don't right like way. I like partnerships. To be quite honest I, with you, I enjoy yeah.
1: you. I don't like your wife. If, and that's what it comes down to it is it, when push I'm comes so, to shove, you're going to you're gonna have to make <laughs> a decision like, my wife wants to sell the property. She wants to move to Florida. I'm going to be like, but I'm not ready.
2: Yeah, so let's say you do go and get into the property with a partner, and then the wife says, I'm not signing a quick claim deed. I'm, I'm going to be on title. And, and then all of a sudden you have this situation where somebody there's a third party involved in some in decisions and it's no longer a two-person partnership. So it, I, I don't like that type of investment unless it's through an LLC. My
1: opinions are my opinions and certainly some partnerships work out. But in this day and age of quick divorces and things, I don't know if I want other guys, uh, other people as partners. So I'll take other people's money for sure, but not so much. Isn't, that, else. isn't that what you do? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That's Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Take a break here. Be right back.
0: Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network 1220 so call in we'll chat and uh, have some fun now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary here's rob black on the wall street business network
1: welcome in rob black and your money joining me today special guest val Vandervort, real estate agent is that the right title for you That works. Okay. I don't know if sometimes it's supposed to be real estate agent, realtor.
4: Real estate consultant. No, I'm good with real estate agent.
1: Good with Keller Williams, um, good firm to work with in the Bay Area. Let's talk a little bit about the current state of home buying in the Bay Area. You specialize kind of on the peninsula, I'm assuming. Correct. But you have represented other areas, I'm also assuming.
4: Uh, I connect agents uh, and buyers uh, for those different areas. So I I don't want to dabble in areas I can't represent a buyer well.
1: Which makes a lot of sense because knowing the streets and knowing the traffic patterns and knowing the businesses locally and the traffic pattern. Like I once got a rental home that I didn't realize was just, it was going to be a nightmare commute and I got it and then I regretted it. So knowing a real good real estate agent will, you know, know the ins and outs of a certain market. For sure. So let's talk about your typical client. What is the typical client in the Bay Area at this point in time? Is there a typical client?
4: Um. Yeah, I think there really is around here just because the housing prices are so expensive. So, um, you know, kind of dual income professional people um, are who are out there that can afford home prices around here these days, especially along the peninsula is what we're seeing there.
1: Mostly what you represent, are you saying, is dual income, husband works, wife works? For the most part. Okay. And uh, are they coming to the table with a, a good down payment? Are they struggling to find the down payment? Are they uh, moving up from the, the home on the east side to the west side and, and trading up, per se?
4: Um, uh, pretty impressive down payments that we see. Um, I have seen about 20% of my sales this last year be all cash. And then there's some people who are doing 20% down. And then probably more people doing... Uh, 30% down, 35% down, somewhere in there.
1: Yeah, I did 40% down, and I'm ashamed to say that because I keep talking about how putting money in your home doesn't get the, the market returns, the stock market returns. You just get the real estate returns. You lose appreciation due to the weakness of the dollar and tied towards inflation. But coming up with that down payment makes the uh, the payment a little bit more affordable. For sure. Yep, that's right. So dual-income families, pretty common. Um I've heard a lot and I've read a lot about the Asian investor mm-hmm. and I don't see it in my neighborhood. I don't think. Yeah. Um, are you seeing it as a realtor where people are coming from China with all cash or is this just something like the LA times and the San Francisco gate are pushing the stores?
4: It's definitely for real. Um, I think there's probably agents who are more focused on that as part okay. of their business. Uh, we're seeing, um, Again, that kind of all cash investor tends to be a foreign investor um, a lot of the time, okay. and that's account, you know accounting for about twenty percent of the market.
1: How about affordability? It's um, it's always a question, and it's always expensive in the Bay Area, or at least it always feels expensive in the Bay Area. But now it seems to be more expensive than it was five years ago to get in. Like I'm in, I'm I'm happy, I'm in. Um, I don't need to do anything else, I'm in. Yeah. But I feel bad for my friends and my you know family members who aren't in. So.
4: Yeah. I know it's a tough situation. So uh, actually, California Association of Realtors had their annual uh, housing update yesterday and had a great graph on there that showed just the massive decline in affordability since Q1 of 2012. So it's for real out there that affordability is just becoming a really tough issue around the Bay Area. And in, that's that's actually at all of California stat, but it would, it would translate into the specific Bay Area as well.
1: Now let me ask you a leading question. Uh-oh. I tend not to like real estate agents who say California real estate always goes up. What's your opinion on California real estate?
4: Um, You know, I have a hard time advising on a, like, say, statewide level. Right. Uh, when I look at the peninsula in particular, it's a place where there's not, much, there's not land to develop. So, and you also are sandwiched between, you know, Silicon Valley and San Francisco, two really strong areas. And, you know, land... I, the the great thing in that area is that, you know, your structure itself is not worth as much as the land you sit on. So okay. it is a great investment for the fact that it's just such a um, a limited commodity.
1: It is a good investment over time. I agree with that. Um, and what you just mentioned, the structure, not as worth as much as the land. Um, a lot of people go out and they get homeowner's insurance on the purchase price of their home and they should only get homeowner's insurance on the price of the building to rebuild. Yep. Um, just a small little bit of advice that yeah. the insurance agent's not going to tell you that.
4: Well, yeah, that's interesting. So I have a really great insurance agent that I work with, and um, that's always very clear that, you know, you just need to, um, on the appraisal, it shows, you know, what the structure value is, and you just need to insure for, for that amount and, and your land.
1: And potentially update it every five years. Yes. Oh, for sure. Because the cost of rebuilding it goes up. And the idea is that if an earthquake knocks down my house, I still have the land. So if a fire right. rages through the house, I still have the land. That's so right. We're on the same page there. Now, this show goes out to a lot of people, and I think the Generation Xers and baby boomers have their home. Mm-hmm. You know, we bit the bullet years ago and we did it. But the millennials, they've been living with mom and dad, they're going to be starting new households at a very quickening pace as they, start, you know, the job market improves. Are you seeing millennial buyers? What do they look like?
4: Um, not so much. Um, we're probably seeing, seeing the trailers of the Gen X generation okay. kind of getting into it. There is definitely chatter out there about how millennials are going to drive the market. Uh, talking about that in 2015, that we're going to see more, more of them become players in the market.
1: Well, you have to change your sales tactics. Like is Keller Williams teaching you like, you're gonna have to talk social media. You're gonna have to go to Facebook. You're not gonna be able to put your face on a shopping cart per se.
4: Yeah. Um, There's definitely trainings on that out there. Um, I kind of believe in you just kind of be yourself and, um, you know, have a good reputation in the community and things tend to come your way. But I think and the other thing I always hear is that fate like those really young, young millennials, they're Facebook. They don't use Facebook in the same way us like 40, 50 year olds, do. (laughs) that they think you guys are old people on there. So um, there's I think they're a little more Twitter crowd.
1: I don't see you um, advertising on Snapchat, though, either. Okay. So just going <laughs> out there. I met my real estate agent in a funny manner. Um, I was shopping for homes, and I was going to the weekend. What are the openings called? Are they called openings? Open houses. Open houses. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, And I didn't really... She's not the type of person I would party with. <laughs> okay. But sh- her knowledge of the city was so great, and her, you know, like, hey, I will show you, and you... 10 houses, and you tell me the two that you like, and then you're done. I'll find the house for you. And it took her six to nine months to, to find the perfect house, and she did. Yep. Um, pretty good agent. And I met her at an open house, and that's how I interviewed. Is that a good way to find a real estate agent?
4: I believe so. I I have a philosophy for uh, investing in that. I really want to know, like, I want to meet eyeball to eyeball with the person who. Is going to be representing me and no better way than an open house. You go in there and you'll find out if they're on top of it or if they're, you know, sleeping on the couch or you get a lot of information when you go to an open house and talk with an agent.
1: Absolutely. Speaking with Val Vandervoort with Keller Williams. If you have a question for her, you can drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com or call 800-516-1220. It's Val Vandervoort with Keller Williams. When we come back, we'll get into some tips on buying a home what you should do mentally to prepare for it because it's a pretty big financial decision. We'll talk about selling a home and we'll talk about a little bit more about the whole agent process. um, because real estate in the Bay Area is pretty key and pretty important in a lot of people's minds for creating financial success. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial.
3: To Rob Black and your money on AM Welcome
1: back, Ed. Rob Black and your money, talking all things financial, money investing today, real estate. Joining me today is Val Vandervort with Keller Williams. She is a real estate agent. She works on the peninsula, heavily in San Carlos Belmont area, I believe. Correct. You probably get another city up or another city down on occasion. For sure. We have a phone call. Let's bring in Ashok from Menlo Park. Ashok, how are you? Hello there. Go ahead.
0: Hey, great show. Quick question. What's your theory on housing? Like, do you own your primary home, rental homes? Is it a good time to buy? What's your theory on real estate in general?
1: My personal personal opinion is, you know, real estate's a long-term investment. Don't do it if you're not going to be tied to the area for five years. Um, Hopefully. Sometimes that doesn't quite work out, but I think it works over time, especially the component of having a mortgage, which is low cost and paying yourself to live it in a place and not paying a landlord. I like the concept, but again, it's a pretty big financial commitment. Val, is now a good time or should people wait for interest rates to rise, see if they go a little bit lower? Timing's not easy, is it?
4: No, it is definitely not easy. Um, you know, I think for people, if the especially when it's a primary residence. I mean, if the circumstances are right for you at the time, it makes sense to buy. Uh, they're saying it looks like California wide, expecting it to go up over probably five percent in 2015. So, you know, if it's if everything's kind of lining up and it makes sense for you to buy, it's probably the right time to buy for investment property. Uh, investors are tending to pull out of the market these days just because the prices have risen so quickly. So, you know, I think there's probably some wisdom in holding off on investment property and waiting and kind of watching and seeing what's going to happen.
1: With that said, uh, there's a lot of scenarios that could drive prices lower. Um, A shook could be in the market for a home and there could be a massive earthquake right before he gets ready to buy and, you know, he hits a home run. Yeah. Valuation is going to drop pretty, pretty aggressively. Mm -hmm. He could be in a bad situation where he gets a home and massive earthquake hits the day after he closes and his valuation go much lower. I've seen both sides of that. Um, trying to guess isn't the right way to play the game though. No,
4: it's just too, too difficult. I mean, too many variables. Like I, you know, I'm in this on a daily basis and to try and make a correct prediction for my clients is really tough. And it really is. It's time in the market. Right. So if you you can't time the market, but if you're going to spend some time in the market, it doesn't hurt to buy. We saw a cycle that lasted about seven years from, you know, hitting a low, going back up to and recovering and getting back and beyond that high. So, you know, if you're going to be in the market for that amount of time, it you'll be okay.
1: I will say this to Ashok and I'll say this to you and you can say I'm crazy. I think interest rates are so low right now that you'd be a fool not to get a piece of property somewhere on this planet. Um, and take advantage of that low rate um, because that's going to stay low for 30 years if you get a 30-year mortgage. That's
4: right.
1: Um, let's talk about investment properties. And this is slightly off topic, but I want to get your opinion because I think this is a great way of talking about the difference between the home you live in versus the home you invest in. I've been looking at a place in Tahoe, mm-hmm. and I want to give it to my friends and family and like say, hey, have a nice weekend. Have a nice week on me. Be kind of generous. Have some downtime there. And the real estate agent said something fantastic to me. She goes... Buying in Tahoe is like buying a Picasso. You're going to enjoy the hell out of it for 20 years, and you're going to sell it for a lot of money. But are you going to get any value today? No. It's all going to be overpriced. Um, but in 20 years, you're going to be happy that you did it. I kind of like that concept because she really kind of slapped me and said, you know, it's not going to cash flow the way you want it to. It's, you're not going to have renters in it every weekend yeah. because everyone in Tahoe has a vacation home that they're trying to get renters in every weekend. Um, she said the competition's too much. The property management charges way too high, but it's like a Picasso. Buy it, enjoy it, sell it in yep. 20 years.
4: Yeah. And so. yeah. And y- you know, we saw the market downturn up there too. And you know that there are great, there can be great buying opportunities up, you know, in place like Tahoe too.
1: So let's talk about su- uh, buyers when they come to you. How often are they unrealistic where you have to say like a shook, if he could afford the payment, consider real estate. That's what you and I both kind of came to an agreement there with. If you can afford the payment, consider it. Mm -hmm. You know, no more than 40% of your income. Hopefully it's 30% of your income, ideally. So it gives you a little bit more wiggle room. Are people coming to you and like just not in touch or are they pretty realistic about the cost of uh, acquiring a home?
4: I'm pretty fortunate that most of the clients who come in the door are realistic. They... Are educating themselves online before they get in touch they're going to open houses they're seeing things uh there's so much information available to them these days that they can see what things that have what they've sold for that they have been out and looking at so they get a real sense of it and if they're not realistic they get realistic pretty quickly like you write an offer or two and you try and stack it full of contingencies uh, these days and you find out that there were 10 offers you were the lowest and you had you know all the contingencies If they want to buy a house, they learn pretty quickly what it takes to get get it and then go through those hoops. Let's
1: talk a little bit about that, the contingencies. It freaks people out.
4: Uh, Yeah, it's painful.
1: Um, What is a contingency? What are some of the ones you've seen recently?
4: So the main contingencies that you would have would be for property condition, appraisal, and financing. And... What we see in multiple offer situations that are really common in the Bay Area is that the winning party tends to waive all their contingencies. Thankfully, we get pest inspection, property inspection reports up front, so we can go through and read those and be okay with it and um, you know make a decision as to whether you're okay with the property condition and waive that contingency appraisal. A lot of people who are putting 20%, you know, they want to put 20% down, but if they have more cash in their bank they can waive their appraisal contingency because they could put more down if there was a shortfall in the appraisal. And then the other part is the loan contingency and we have really savvy lenders in the area who get their clients to go through underwriting and are really confident in them getting the loan and therefore um, get themselves comfortable with waiving the loan contingency. But it is, I mean, it's, there's some risk. We are trying to mitigate the risk as much as, as possible in setting up people to write, you know, offers that don't have contingencies. When the market balances out, we see them return.
1: Okay. Do you ever tell a client like, no, I don't feel good about these contingencies. Something smells wonky because I don't trust contingencies. It's in my nature not to trust anything.
4: Yeah. Um. Yeah. When I go through and read the disclosures on a property, I will go back to my buyer and say, you know, these things make me uncomfortable. I don't think we can get an answer to this. You know, before you put an offer in, so you can just say, "All right, I'm taking on maybe a twenty or forty thousand dollar risk," or you can have a contingency. Um, you may not get the property, but at least you won't make a foolish mistake that you'll regret later.
1: I had a contingency once that if the loan didn't fund, that they kept like ten thousand dollars. Okay. And that scared the bejesus out of me. Yeah. Like I kind was of yeah. like. Tony, is this loan going to close? Like, you have to tell me that it is before I sign this piece of paper. Yeah. And it all closed. Yeah. But with that said, I'm speaking with Val Vandervoort, Keller Williams. You can find her at Val Vandervoort. That's V A N D E R V O R T dot com. ValVandervoort dot com. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. We'll take a break, come back, talk more buying and selling real estate with Val Vandervoort.
3: Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I'm sitting next to real estate agent extraordinaire Val Vandervoort with Keller Williams. Just got a text message saying she's good. Ask her what got her into real estate and why is it her passion? I love questions like that.
4: Um so I was actually a uh, high school biology teacher and I would uh go, you know, shopping at CVS or whatever and be like, I don't know if I can afford this $3 razor blade for, you know, my razor to shave my legs. So <laughs> I um a lot of information. Right yeah, or like a stick of deodorant. And so I kind of thought about selling real estate at that time and um didn't go for it at that time ended up leaving teaching and going into the biotech world and I worked in biotech for a few years and then our company closed down operations on the west coast to move everything to the east coast and I got a severance package and I said okay now's the time for me to start my real estate business and um, I think it started out as one of those you hear it a lot like I just love homes kind of a thing and um, realized that there is way more to it than that uh, to run a real estate business and um, I just I really enjoy helping people and um, being honest with them and doing the best thing for them, so it's worked out well.
1: You've got a nice presentation to you, so that probably helps you enormously. Um You and I talked before the show, and uh, I mentioned that I found my real estate agent who I will use again and again and again because she did a great transaction for me, she really hustled but for her, it was a massive knowledge of the Bay Area, of particularly my city. Like she said, I used to live in that house, and I used to live in that house. And I was like, done. Uh, you sold me on that. What strengths do you have? Um, is it networking? Because that's probably got to be pretty important. Is it you know, Keller Williams, the name? Because it's a strong name. What, what do you bring to the table?
4: Uh, I think what... My client's value in me is that I'm very honest and my objective is to get the right house for them um, or when I'm representing the sellers, you know, making sure that they net every dollar that they can out of the house. So I really defend their money uh, like it's my own um, and making sure that, they, um, they do, they, that they're served well, that their interests are definitely way ahead of mine. Um, and I think people see that, can feel it, and um, and that's what draws them to me, working with me.
1: Are you the type of agent that will pick a client up and drive them around to show them homes, or are you more of a hands-off? Uh,
4: one of the first things I do with my buyer clients is drive them around the areas that they're interested in and get them focused on the areas that they like and eliminate the areas they don't like and give them the framework of, the areas, the schools, the past sales, and so I'm very hands on. Then they, sometimes it's more convenient for them to go to open houses on their own, but they have a great framework of what the area is like.
1: Right. And also you start learning what they want and you're able to push ideas to them. Um, You mentioned buyer clients. Do most people start with you looking to buy a home and then they keep you forever and you sell their home and you buy their next home? Or do people randomly find you, not randomly, but marketing find you and say, I need you to sell my house?
4: Um, a lot of different ways And okay. which um, one of the big ways that business uh, comes to me is through Yelp is a big um, source of business. I have a lot, I get a lot of referrals from my past clients. Um, I've been in the business long enough that I have repeat business from people who I've uh, sold a home to, and then nice. it's time for them to get a bigger home or if they're moving out of the area and go through the process of selling through me, so a few different directions.
1: My realtor does something that's pretty nice. She drops off gifts during the holidays, and mm-hmm. they're pretty expensive gifts. Okay. Um, and I adore that, but she doesn't have to do that. She's kind of part of the family. It's really strange the relationship that you make with a realtor. Um, Definitely. You know, her name's Julie Geyer. She's, you know, she got me my home. Like, is this place I'm going to live until I die? And, like, she's literally part of my family. And I, I work for people. Like, you see what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You feel that connection like you're part of a family?
4: Yeah, definitely. I lo- mm. And I love that part of it is that you have such an intense experience together over a two-month period, six-month period. You get to know these people really well. And they get to know you pretty well. And... um. I, th- So many of my past clients are are my friends.
1: One of the tricks that, and again, this is evil, but you could steal this idea if you want to. When you have a buyer who's interested in a home, have them write up a letter, have them show adorable kids, maybe in a wheelchair, saying, we want to live in this house and we want to do exactly what you did and raise our kids here. Like sometimes you have to sell the the seller, so to speak. For sure. Um, And those are tricks that you know that I don't know, and I don't recommend doing that, but it certainly has crossed my mind a couple times.
4: Oh, I had one case where uh, it was um, a trust that was selling the property right. and the agent said, you know, we don't want any of that fluffy stuff. Don't bring us a letter about your buyers, that kind of stuff. So I didn't. And then um, the um, it, we didn't get the property. And the feedback was, oh, the trustees fell in love with this other family. They wrote this gushy letter. And I said... That's the last time. I don't care who it is. It The buyers need to write a letter to say who they are, have a picture. It makes a difference. It's a tiebreaker for sure. One of the
1: things that this is hitting upon on theme, I say in San Carlos where I live, that every time an old lady dies, a family of four moves in. Mm-hmm. And it's typically a trust scenario where mm-hmm. she's had the fam- She's had the house for 40, 50 years. She had kids. And it's a... It's a Kind of a fact at this point in time, literally the old women on our street, when they die, families of four move in. People are lining up to move into my neighborhood.
4: Yeah. Yep. Strong schools, they are in so many of these communities. Strong schools drive families coming into it. And there are so many young families in the Bay Area.
1: Buyer's market or seller's market right now, from what you're seeing?
4: Well, our inventory has gotten so, so low. I mean, it's been low for the past couple of years, but it's so low in the month of November, December that... um, and there's enough demand out there that it's definitely a seller's market we just don't have enough inventory to keep it going so the sellers have an advantage right now
1: have we hit the peak of the buyer's market oh, no no have we hit the peak of the seller's market are there fewer buyers That's what i'm trying to say
4: uh there's a lot of things that indicate that the as far as competition in the market was peaking in 2013 so although prices are still gone up it's still competitive it's slowing down a little bit from what it did in 2013, which is excellent because we need a little bit more balance in our market for it to be healthy.
1: I used to think when I was younger that I wanted to be picked up and driven around by like a beautiful woman who sells houses. I got to be flirted with. I got to like, like I'm going to buy a house. I'm kind of a big deal. Um, And now I just want someone I've changed a little bit. I was reading the Wall Street Journal, they were quoting someone from the Bay Area who's like the leading most volume sales in the Bay Area. And uh, I kind of like that idea of going to someone who does a lot of sales versus someone who's kind of like a, a niche or a boutique firm, in large part because they do know people. Like, you know, probably 80 to 100 other real estate agents. And if you've got a nice house coming up that you're trying to sell, you're, you're going to be like, hey, guys, gals, you're going to want to see this one. And they're going to bring 80 to 90 buyers into that home. So it, it's really important to find an agent who has a network uh, and who has been doing it a while.
4: Yeah. We see that uh, again and again, that, you know, buyers and sellers, they can get so much information off the internet, but there's the agents still do drive the business in um, a really remarkable way. Um, I, if, I guess people who kind of try and go through the discount online brokerage, they are missing out on some opportunity as far as, a, an agent who has really good connections and relationships in a community, what that can do for them as far as winning in a multiple offer situation um, or finding something before it goes on the market. It's huge.
1: Someone came down my street yesterday on a Segway <laughs> saying, I've got a buyer. Are you interested yes. in selling? Yeah. And he went to every house. Yep. And I'm like, I'm not going to sell a house to a guy. On a Segway. Okay. I think that's just bad marketing. Yeah. To me, that, that looks like a rookie.
4: Oh, that's funny because I, I know who you're talking about and that's their chick. Okay. They, they go around San Carlos on their Segway.
1: That's, I, <laughs> I felt a little, like I felt he's a little bit too young. Okay. Um, and again, I think I'm not age discriminating. I just think, I don't know. It's a, that's felt very odd. And another one that I get is people who come and they say, there's someone selling, you know, a couple blocks away. You may want to tell your friends and family. I found that one kind of interesting, okay, where a real estate agent came to us okay and uh said, you know um just in case and i, I almost think that's not illegal, but it, it feels like they're trying to drive the price higher, maybe even artificially I, I again
4: yeah i yeah i they're going i mean it's it's a function of you're in sales, and you that's you know part of um your job as far as prospecting. So that's, that's what they're doing.
1: What's the time now if someone puts up a house or our houses going pretty quickly?
4: Yeah, uh, it's crazy in our area. So you really hold off offers typically so that you're at about seven to 10 days on market. Um, you could probably accept an offer within the first day of it being on the market, but that's not necessarily the best thing for the sellers to do that. So we tend to hold off and look at offers seven to ten days after being on the market.
1: Do you ever get afraid though? Like if you don't take that first one, maybe the <laughs> second one will never come. Um, uh,
4: you when you're can, when you're doing a you know a good level of business, you really have a good feeling for what the market can bear. And so you know if you get the sense that the market's cooling, you can help advise your sellers like you might want to consider this because we don't. It, it's not as robust as it had been.
1: When was the last time you saw a house go for under asking?
4: Um, It is happening these days um, because here's what happens is that sellers get uh, overly confident. They price off of last month's closes and the market change, it can change uh, on a dime. And so they get overconfident, they price too high and then the buyers, we saw buyer fatigue. The buyers just needed to, they were giving pushback because the prices went too high too quick and then a property lingers and then it goes for under asking.
1: Val Vandervoort with Keller Williams. You can find her at valvandervoort.com. You can always email me, rob at robblack.com, and I can get you her contact information as well. It's Vander, V-A-N-D-E-R-V-O-R-T. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial.
4: I am content-
3: You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app.
1: I'm speaking with Val Vanderbort, Keller Williams, 3Bs. There's a lot going on in that name. Yep. I've got a real simple name, Black.
4: Yeah, no, I get to spell mine often.
1: I Believe it or not, I get to spell mine often. <laughs> that shows you how either I speak too quickly or people don't understand the color black is so freaking common. Um... So you're a real estate agent. How long have you been doing it?
4: Uh, for 10 years.
1: 10 years. Okay. Um, do you feel good about going into 2015 or?
4: I think it's going to be an active market. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to see good appreciation probably through at least the first half of the year. And then we'll see how it goes for the second. I, 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 my crystal ball is only so deep. So.
1: Yeah. And I understand that. Yeah. yeah. Mine too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> stock market can change on a dime based on, you know. Putin going crazy or something like that. Yeah. Um, with that being said, one of the things I tell people about real estate is you need a good economy. So it does help you to pay attention to what I do. And it helps me to pay attention to what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could see speculation. You could see froth. Any signs of froth out there?
4: Um. You know, I was starting to get a little bit concerned about it. Uh, okay. I had gone to a conference where it was mentioned. Um, I think his name is Stanley Field. Fisher, he's the vice chair of the Federal Reserve Board. I believe is his title, and his statement is that if you see more than 16% growth two years in a row, that prices are rising too fast. And so I was kind of checking out the numbers. We definitely had 2013; you were getting above 16% in so many of the counties and cities. But 2014, the second half, we slowed down a little bit, so it has backed off a little bit. And I think that's helpful because I, I, you know, if it grows too quickly, we just end up with buyers who can't afford it anymore and they, they back out, get nervous and then, you know, prices start to come back down.
1: When buying a home, I tend to advise people buy close to jobs, buy close to a hospital, buy close to a university. If you could pull off all three of those, you're going to do well. Yeah. Um, I also say buy something that a woman would want. Because men, we could live in caves. Mm-hmm. We don't really care. Mm-hmm. But if it's got curb appeal, if it's got a good school district, my neighbor, he contributes to scuff the San Carlos Education Fund. He, yeah. doesn't have, he doesn't have kids. Oh, yeah. And I think he's the smartest guy on the block yeah. because it keeps his real estate value high.
4: Yeah, and he votes for all the school measures and all that stuff, which is definitely, you know, that, that gives good upside to the real estate.
1: On the downside, the thing that I don't like about George is he's got Prop 13. And it was his wife's family's house. So that property tax has got to be pretty cheap.
4: Oh, yeah. So
1: Yeah. Um, speaking of that, you know, the curb appeal, is there any truth to buying the smallest house on the bus street? Or do you want to buy a bigger house because it's all based on square footage, the comps? What are your thoughts?
4: I, I agree with, the, you know, buy the ugliest house on the best street. I just... I've seen buyers do it both ways, and when you watch that market change, the people who bought for location, they come out ahead, and the people who bought for just visually what it looked like, they can get stuck when the market downturns.
1: Do you know who Skip Williams is? I don't. He's a home inspector. And
4: oh, yay. I think, I, yeah.
1: I may have the name slightly wrong. Yeah. Maybe Chip or something like that, but... um. He did the home inspection. Okay. And uh, it was fantastic. Okay. It's like $300 and he takes pictures of stuff. And he's like, your roof's going to last seven years. Your washer dryer's going to last two years. Um, I would pay for that every five years just as a man who I, I'm not very practical. Cool. Knowing that like that tree's going to fall on my house mm-hmm. or knowing that I have a sewage issue coming up. Yeah. Uh, home inspectors.
4: Oh, yeah. People. I It's a good idea to do it regularly as a homeowner. And we forget about it. Even, you know, real estate agents who are there practicing it all the time, like, It's a good idea to get it. Like with the heavy rain right now, get somebody under your house and check out what, how much, how much water do you have under your house right now?
1: And don't do it yourself unless you know (laughs) what you're doing.
4: And you're not claustrophobic.
1: I'm uh, not a manly man. I don't know if you could figure that out. So I'm always asking my neighbor and he does home inspections. I'm like, how long, when do I do termite
4: inspections?
1: Like. Because you hear the commercials and you like, oh, you, yeah.
4: you panic. Like I should be doing this. No. Bugs are eating my house. No, there. That's such a great commercial. I, I think they must be referring to like subterranean termites. Like the wood, you know, wood termites are, are. They're from my pest inspector. He says they're slow-moving organisms. You can have them in your house for a while, and they're not going to do you know any immediate damage. Subterranean's a different story, and I think that's the fear that those commercials are feeding on.
1: Okay. Anything else that you uh, want to bring to the table that people should be aware of when buying or selling, approaching real estate mentally?
4: Uh, I just think get it, you've got to find a real estate agent that you trust. I mean, a, a real estate agent that will give you good advice um, and that you trust is it, worth so much. It's worth way more than any rebate you could get back from somebody who um, is just running that model. So what are you not looking for in a real estate agent? Um, I think you should trust your gut. And, you know, again, to me, you meet eyeball to eyeball and have a conversation with them and see if you trust them. And if you have any hesitation or red flags going up, you should trust your gut and, and not work with that individual.
1: I was looking for a place in San Francisco 12 years ago and a uh, real estate agent bragged because she knew who I was from radio and television she said, I got 80 credit cards. I'm like, I don't want to work with you. Like right there.
4: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yep. You want to see their, you want to see their tax returns, things like that.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's inappropriate that you could make such a rush judgment. But with that said, it is a pretty big transaction. So you represent buyer clients, seller clients. What are we seeing more? I guess we're seeing, we have to have a lot more buyers and sellers right now. Yeah. Just mathematics.
4: Yeah. Oh yeah. Like sellers are just not moving.
1: Okay your market, one of the markets you represent, San Carlos Belmont area. Are you ever worried that like, they have so underprepared for school systems or for the population of kids? Oh, yeah. So the schools are out of whack and yeah. they, one family may get Carlmont High School, which they want, but then they get zoned out of it because mm-hmm. of the volume of people. Yeah. It's tough to think about, huh? Uh
4: Yeah, I, I think it, it, the cities didn't see, I think, what was happening around here with the growth of, um, the young family population.
1: It's Val Vandervoort with Keller Williams, real estate agent extraordinaire. You can find her online deb, deb, deb dot val V A L V A N D E R V O R T dot com.
0: Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's...